Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. Come to you now at this time of, uh, of sharing the word. Lord, again, I pray that hearts are opened. Father, this is a, this is a big deal. This sin of partiality, partiality and favoritism, we, we see this uh, over and over and over again in our society. Uh, it's tearing our society apart, uh, Lord, as we uh, favor one individual over another. Uh, but, Lord, you are clear through the words of James that that's just a sin and we need to rid ourselves of that if we're followers of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that as we walk through uh, this evening, we walk through your scriptures, that we recognize uh, this sin of partiality, uh, and we uh, we understand uh, how detrimental it can be uh, in our lives. And Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So the story is told of a new pastor. His name was Jeremiah Stepek. He transformed himself into a homeless person and went to the 10,000-member church that he was to be introduced as the head pastor that morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while it was filling with people for the service. Only three people out of the seven to 10,000 people said hello to him. He asked people for change to buy food. No one in the church gave him change. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. He greeted people to be uh, to, to be he uh, greeted people to be greeted back with stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. And as he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such. When all that was done, the elders went up and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepek. The congregation looked around, clapping with joy and anticipation. The homeless man, sitting in the back, stood up and started walking down the aisle. The clapping stopped, and all eyes were on him. He walked up to the altar. He took the microphone from the elders, who were in on this, by the way, and paused for a moment. Then he said this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of my brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, Pastor Jeremiah looked towards the congregation and told them all what he had experienced that morning. Many began to cry. Many heads were bowed. And he then said this, Today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become disciples? That is a perfect example of partiality. That is a perfect example of favoritism. And we might think that it just happens out there. We might hope that it just happens out there. But I'll tell you this. It happens right in here in these pews as well. 
and every pew and every church across America, it happens there as well. I imagine maybe a similar scenario was playing out as James penned this epistle to those dispersed Christians. The poor were being taken advantage of. The context of this passage here is the poor were being taken advantage of by the rich. Those who had little were being taken advantage of by those who had a lot. The rich were playing favorites. They were showing partiality to their rich friends. And it come at the expense of the poor. Those who didn't have anything. Those who had no way of, of protecting themselves. No, those who had no way of doing anything uh, for themselves. No way of, 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 of going to court and all those other things. That was not the way that those who hold faith in Jesus Christ should be seen. And James makes that very clear. So the point this morning is this. James taught those Christians that he wrote to that partiality was a sin and it was against the law of God. And so James teaches us today, when we show partiality as Christians, we ultimately sin against the law of God. So favoritism and partiality is a sin. So how do we avoid it? How do we avoid this sin of partiality? How do we not fall into, into to, 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 to the sin of partiality for showing favoritism to those uh, that may be able to give us something that, that, that the others might not be able to give? But I think James, James gives us four practical ways uh, this evening that we can show and that we can avoid being disobedient to the law of God. We'll call these the four R's. Of avoiding the sin of partiality. The first R is this. We must recognize the presence of partiality. We've got to know it's there. We've got to know what it is. We've got to know uh, and see it. And recognize that it's there. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. My brothers, James says, that's brothers and sisters. And that's, that's all inclusive there. Show faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Here's his example. So, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, in other words, if he comes into the sanctuary, if he comes into the church and wants to worship, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, uh, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Remember, these Christians were living in a culture of partiality. That was the whole context of this passage. That's why James is writing this. The culture was that of partiality. The poor were being exploited by the rich. And he makes clear right off the bat that partiality was not not part of the lives of being a Christian. James says, listen, show no partiality. Well, okay, that's fine. If he left it there, we would understand, okay, we're not to show no partiality, but James doesn't do that. He goes on and he says, listen, the reason we don't show, show partiality because those who hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, that's not who we are. That's not what we are. That's not our character. The partiality there, favoritism. It's the fault of one who, uh, when called on to give judgment, has respect to outward circumstances, i.e. the appearance, social status, their economic status, their perceived worth, maybe their power, over the one who might not have those particular attributes or gifts. It's the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. The attitude of the people uh, was one of showing partiality. The example James gives, it, it's, a, it's a very, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really easy example. I mean, you can read that and you can totally understand what James is saying. Listen, you got this rich guy that comes into your congregation. Most people know he's rich. What do we want to do? We want to bend over backwards for the rich guy. When the poor guy comes in, the shabby clothing, the torn up clothing, and all these things that comes in off the street, what do we do? Move on. Move on. We don't have any room for you here. 
We don't have any room in the inn for you. James says, listen, you got these people that are coming in, these rich people that are coming in. And you're setting, we're all telling them, here, listen, here, I've got this good seat for you. This is where all of our big rich benefactors sit, right here. This is the benefactor section. This is the rich benefactor section. You sit here. The poor guy comes in in shabby clothes and we stuck him in the back of the church. He might have a smell that we don't particularly care for. His clothes may be a little drab and dirty. We don't want him to influence our rich donors. So we keep him in the back. But James says, listen, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we hold the faith, that means if we're Christians, if we're followers of Christ, if we have faith, if we have the spirit living within us, if we hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, then we have no right to show partiality. It should not be the character of a Christian. Non-believers show partiality. We need to understand that you know we non-believers are going to be like non-believers. Sinners are going to act like sinners, and they're going to show partiality. But when folks come into the sanctuary, when they come into the assembly, this should be the place where they are embraced, regardless of what kind of clothes they got on, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how they smell, okay, regardless of how much money they have. We should welcome them. We should care for them. Because we're genuine believers. We've received the mercy of God, so we should give that mercy back to those other individuals. You know, why do we do that? Why do we let the, 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 the rich and bring the rich in? Why do, we, why, do we, why do we do that? Well, it's human nature, one. The rich have something to offer. The rich can provide for our new ministries that we want to start. The rich can give to all sorts of other projects that we want to do. The rich have something material to offer. I have a pastor friend told me a story about the a first the church that he began to pastor. It was a, it was a very small church up in North Georgia. And when he first went there, they, they had decided that they wanted to change the name of the church to the name of the community that they lived in, which was a novel idea. And so they went through the process of changing the name of they each. And when that vote came down that Wednesday evening, there was a gentleman in that church who, who, who was a very influential gentleman and his family was very influential came up to pastor uh, came up to uh, pastor Tim and told him listen if y'all change the name of this church we're leaving we're leaving he was very rich he was very influential now Tim had a couple of options he could have followed along with that he could have been overtaken by that individual he could have he could have you know played favorites to that and shown favoritism and partiality to that individual. because Why? Because he had the funds. He had the money. He could have helped and, and supplied their ministries and all those other things. But Tim didn't do that. He followed the lead of the Holy Spirit. They changed the name of the church. That family left. And took all their finances with them. Today that church went. Well, they ran probably 50 to 60 then. That church now runs 6,000. Because Tim didn't play favorites. He said, listen, this is what the Lord wants us to do. If you take your finances and go, then the Lord will provide. But that's what happens when we show partiality. He could have very well said, you know what? I don't want you to leave because if you leave, then this church is going to die. But he didn't. You know, churches and pastors, we bend over backwards oftentimes to accommodate the wealthy to accommodate those who, who will give us what we need and, and support the ministries that we, that we have here at the church. When all the while, all they are doing is holding the church hostage. 
They're holding the church hostage. You know, sometimes those folks have to go before the church, before God can do anything in that church. And so we can't show favoritism. Notice the results there in verse 4 when we recognize this. He says, Have you not uh, then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts to make distinctions there? James says, To decide who might be more beneficial to the cause. You know, where is, it, where is it our right to make those kind of distinctions to begin with? It's not. And he said, you become judges, but not only judges, you become judges with evil thoughts. Judge is one who passes or arrogates to himself judgment on anything. In this case, they were following perverse opinions, reprehensible principles. They were judging based on thoughts, human standards, and not on godly standards. They had evil thoughts, James says. That's evil hearts, evil motives. And any time we judge with evil motives and any time we judge with evil hearts, you know what we're going to do? We're going to set the rich man up here and the poor man down here every single time. Ephesians 6, chapter 9 says this, Masters, do the same then and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. He's talking about God there. So we've got to recognize partiality when when it's there. Sometimes we can be blinded by that. Sometimes we can think to ourselves, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. The one who genuinely holds the faith in Jesus Christ, the true Christian, shows no partiality. Why? Because God shows no partiality. And if God shows no partiality, and we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we have the same character as God, yes. Yes. And so what does that mean for us? We show no partiality. We show no partiality. The very character of God is void of partiality. The true Christian will have the same character. Thus be imitators of Christ, avoiding showing partiality. So we've got to recognize what showing partiality truly looks like. James gives us an example there. The next star is this. We've got to reflect on the heart of God. Reflect on the heart of God. We know the character of God is void of partiality. The character of God is void of any, any sin altogether. And partiality, we'll find out, is a sin. So we've got to avoid that. How do we do that? Well, we reflect on the character of God. We reflect on God's own heart. Because that's the same heart that you and I were supposed to have. So the very heart of God is what we need to reflect on. The very heart of God is what we need to understand. So verse 5 says this. James says, listen. He's trying to go in those attention. Listen. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. The value for God is not based on material wealth. God doesn't care how wealthy you are. God doesn't care how much money you have. God doesn't care how much, how much uh, material and financial support that you give to the ministries of Southside Baptist Church. Because people can give and give and give and give and have a heart that's completely contrary to the character of God. God doesn't care about that. He doesn't, he doesn't care about material wealth. God cares about a spiritual wealth. Notice what James says, it has not God chosen. This, this speaks of the language of election. It's predetermined. God, this is a predetermined choice of God. Those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. What James is saying there, listen, God didn't choose the materially rich. God didn't choose the materially wealthy. God chose the materially poor. Why? Why did God choose the poor? Because their riches don't get in the way. They have nothing to offer. When you and I come to Christ, we have to come bearing everything. We have nothing to offer God except for our souls, except for ourselves. 
That's why when people say, I got to, you know, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm too bad for God. I, you know, God's not going to take me. Listen, God, <laughs> he wants you right where you are. You can't clean yourself up. God says, listen, these are the ones that I've chosen. The poor in the world. Those that don't have any material wealth. Those that can't give uh, anything. He says, not only are they rich in faith, but they're heirs. This is one who receives his allotted possessions by right of sonship. Now, notice something here. I want you to understand something. These, the poor and, and, are not just uh, grandfathered in to the kingdom of God. Right? They're not just grandfathered in. God didn't say, okay, you, the poor, anybody that's poor is going, to, is, going to, is going to enter the kingdom of God. They still have to enter the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. What James is saying, that God chose the poor, we have to become poor to enter the kingdom of God. We, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference how rich you are. You can't buy your way into heaven. I don't care who you are. You can't buy your way into heaven. That kingdom that James is talking about there, he's talking about the present sphere, the sphere that you and I live in, the present sphere of salvation. But he's also got a future sense of the millennial kingdom and the eternal glory that we're going to see later on. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Back up to 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26 through 29. Paul gives a clear picture of the poor here. He gives a clear picture of the ones that God uh, seeks to, to enter the kingdom of God. When he says this, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Notice what he says. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. Verse 27, but God did what? He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It has nothing to do with who we are. It has nothing to do with what we have, but everything to do with who God is. So God speaks to the poor often. We see that in Scripture. He chose the poor because they're more apt to respond to God in faith. We took a mission trip to Haiti several years ago. And what was interesting about that whole thing for me is what, what, what really convicted me about that, about that trip was not the, the, the work that we did and not the vacation Bible school that we put on, but it was the Haitian people. They would get up and they would dress in their Sunday best and they would walk for miles and miles and miles in 100 degree heat just to get to church. And the churches were absolutely slammed with people. They were, they were, they were, they were standing outside looking in the windows. There was no air conditioning. They were standing up. They were there, wherever there was a spot in that church that w- was there. And you know what? These people had nothing. They had nothing. They had nothing. But I guarantee they'd offer you a shirt off their back if, they, if, if you asked. But those are the folks. Couldn't, that's what James is talking about. That's why God chose uh, the poor those who couldn't, couldn't give us anything. Those that, that, that didn't, didn't have the ability to think, you know what, I'm going to buy my way into heaven. These, these poor folks, they have fewer obstacles to overcome. They don't have riches and wealth in which to trust. How many stories in Scripture does Jesus talk about the rich? What does he say about the rich? It's easier for the a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to be saved. Right? Why? Because of his riches. His riches get in the way. Then the disciples say, what do they say? Oh, well, well, how does he get saved? And then this, later on in verse 27, he says, with God, all things are possible. And church history recounts, if you look at church history, comparatively speaking, there are more poor people responding to the gospel than the rich. 
And again, this doesn't mean that the rich are not chosen. This doesn't mean that the rich are not part of the elect. But what it does mean is that it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for the poor man to get saved. That's what it means. Because the poor have nothing in their way. They have nothing to, to, to no obstacles uh, to overcome. Here's the reality, verse 6 and 7. It says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the one who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name in which you were called? The poor were being dishonored instead of being held in honor. They were being looked down upon instead of being lifted up in, in honor of, of, for, for God's chosen uh, people. Now again, remember, not in the sense that they're chosen in, to, and, and grafted into heaven. They have to, to get there the same way you and I get there. But they were basically acting like non-believers. These folks that, that claimed to be believers, they were acting like non-believers because they were showing partiality. Oppressing there, it's an exercise, harsh control over, to use one's power over another. They were dragging the poor into a court. What was happening is, is the rich were dragging the poor people into court. Okay. With these frivolous lawsuits. They were oppressing these people. They were exercising their power over them. They were exercising harsh control over these poor people. And this was a general pattern of behavior. This wasn't something that just happened. This was, this was what was happening. But James is basically saying, listen, this is not the behavior of a Christian. This is not the behavior of a follower of Jesus Christ. Exactly, you know, the, the non-believers were doing this kind of stuff. So when you act like this as a Christian, when you act like this as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are essentially acting just like the non-believers act. Just like the sinners act. We know they're supposed to act that way. It's not a surprise when, when non-believers and sinners uh, oppress others. It's not a surprise when non-believers and, 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 and sinners drag others into court. It's not a surprise. But that shouldn't be the characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ. James is clearly saying. The one who holds faith in Christ. Some of these same people, James says, listen, what you, some of you were doing this. Some of you, this was happening to some of you. Some of you were being dragged into court. Some of you were being oppressed. And yet you are doing the very same thing when you show partiality. Ultimately, James says, you're blasphemed the honorable name of, uh, uh, by which you are called. You're called by the name of Christ, and you're blasphemed that very name. It's like throwing the name of God in the mud and stepping on it and rubbing it into the mud, James is saying. Throwing the name Christian. What do others see when they see you? They see, they see non-believers. They say, well, that, Christians are acting just like non-believers when they show partiality. James one twenty seven. Speaking of the pure and undefiled religion, James writes this. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this. They visit orphans, they, the widows and their afflictions. And here's what he says. And this is what he, he, James was saying to them. He says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Quit acting like the world. Be like my mama when she said, quit doing what everybody else is doing. If everybody else went and jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? That's what James is telling the people. God's heart is free of partiality, so the heart of the one who holds faith in Christ should be free of partiality as well. When we show partiality as believers, we show the character of a non-believing world and you can you you know as well as i do and i think you will all agree that there is a lot of partiality and favoritism in our world and we speak ill against the very name that has set us apart through the salvation of our souls and so we see and we got to recognize that partiality we got to recognize 
that favoritism. We've got to reflect on the, on the heart of God. We've got to reflect on the heart of God. We've got to understand God's heart. God's heart is free of partiality. He's free of sin. There's a third thing we need to do. We need to remember the royal law. Remember the royal law. Look at verses 8 through 11. If you really fulfill, James says, the royal law according to the scriptures, and here's the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But, he says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Can it get any clearer than that? And are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said, that's God, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. The standard or the model to follow is found in the royal law. And next to loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we're to love our neighbors as ourself. And you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? When the man asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Our neighbors are all around us. Our neighbor is everyone. It doesn't matter whether it's Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter whether they're black or white. It doesn't matter whether they're, they're, they're Hispanic or whatever it is. They're our neighbor, and we're to love our neighbor, even though some neighbors are hard to love. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, though, and say this. I imagine that each and every one of us have also been hard to love. If you haven't, then we need to have a confession at the end of the service because you probably just lied. I know I have. Probably today. The royal law. This is the law that belongs to the king. In this case, it's King Jesus. The royal law, it's scripture. It's God's law. It's found in the scriptures. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. James says, listen, if you'll just do that, you're doing well. You're doing well. But here's the problem. You don't just do that. You don't love your neighbor. I've, told you, I've said this before. Basically what James is saying here, listen, if your vertical relationship is good, then your horizontal relationships are going to be good. Because you're going to be showing the character of God as a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, if you don't, listen, if you don't do that, you're doing well if you love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're, you're just sinning. It's just a sin. You're not loving your neighbor well. And you're convicted by, by the very law that you're trying to uphold, the very law that you've been called to uphold, you're convicted by that very law. James makes clear. And you're a transgressor of that law. You trespass against the law. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable uh, for all of it. It's an impossibility to keep the whole law. This was the independent law. You remember the, the Jews, they had a 600 plus uh, laws plus the moral code and all those other things. There's an impossibility to keep the law. Listen, if, if, if we could keep the law, we wouldn't need Jesus. No need for Jesus. But we can't keep the law. So James says, listen, even if you try, even if you keep 99.9% of the law, that 0.1%, you've transgressed against the whole law. You can't keep the law, James says. So you might, you might uh, not be an adulterer. You might not be a murderer. You might not be all those other things. But if you show partiality, you've just sinned. You've just transgressed the whole law. It doesn't matter whether you're a murderer. It doesn't matter whether you're an adulterer. So you just transgressed the whole law. A father with teenagers, and I love this illustration, y'all. Listen, a father with teenagers had a strict rule that his children could only view movies that promoted clean and wholesome values. So one day, his teens wanted to see a movie that was playing at local theaters. The movie was gaining popularity, though it contained 
content that went directly against the father's rule. So the teens couldn't go see it. The teens chatted with friends and members of their family's uh, church to find out what was so offensive in the movie. The teens made a list of pros and cons about the movie to use to convince their dad that they should be able to uh, allowed to see it. Here were the cons. There were only three swear words in the movie. The only violence was a building exploding. And there was no scenes with anyone acting inappropriately. It was just implied. Okay, So the inappropriateness was implied off camera. The pros were it was a popular movie and a major blockbuster. The teens longed to see the movie so they could discuss it with their friends. It was filled with amazing special effects and brilliant storyline and some Hollywood's most talented stars. When the teens heard from their fellow churchgoers that it was a decent film, something everyone should see, they approached their father to seek his permission for them to see it. The father looked at the list and thought for a minute. Knowing his kids had put time and effort into the list, the father asked for a day to think about it. The teens were thrilled, thinking that their argument was far too good for their father to reject. The next evening, the father called his teenagers into the kitchen, where he had a helping of delicious-looking brownies. The teens were puzzled. The father told his children he had uh, the father told his children he had thought about their request and had decided that if they would eat a brownie, then he would allow them to go to the movie. But just like the movie, he said, the brownies had pros and cons. The pros were this. They were made with the finest chocolate, nuts, and other tasty ingredients, and they were moist and fresh with wonderful frosting. He had made these fantastic brownies with using an award-winning recipe, not to mention the love that he poured into it. The cons, there was only one. They included a little bit of a special ingredient, manure. The father explained to his teenagers that if they could stand to eat the brownies and not be affected, then they could go and see the movie and not be affected. Of course, neither of the teens would eat the brownies. You get it? The little leaven leavens the whole bunch. Now, when the teenagers ask permission to do something he is opposed to, the father just asks with a smile, Would you like me to whip up a batch of my special brownies? <laughs> Psalm 119.11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Partiality is a sin, church. It's a sin against the royal law of God. It's a sin against our neighbors. It's a sin against our friends. It's a sin against our family. And true disciples of Christ, we must avoid the sin of partiality by holding fast to the law of God. If you and I would just hold fast to the law, to the word of God, to the scriptures that you and I claim to follow, that you and I claim to be obedient to, to the God that, we, that you and I claim to serve, then we will avoid these kind of things. So we've seen the realization. We've got to realize. We've got to reflect. We've got to remember. And then finally, we've got to respond. There's always that response. Response in word and deed. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, so speak. All right, so speak. And not only speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James has already made clear in our previous passage that we've got to be more than hearers of the word. We've got to be hearers and doers. Hearers and doers. We've got to, when we hear this, we've got to follow through with obedience in word and in deed. This could actually be the application point, if you will, for the, next, the previous 11 verses that James has, has said here. So he finalizes up. He, 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 he applies this. So listen, I've told you that sin is a part, partiality is a sin. I've, I've, I've helped you recognize that. I've helped you understand that that's not the heart of God. So what do you need to do? Here's your application point, church. This is what you need to do. So you need to speak, and so you act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty. We're to use our tongues to build up and not tear down, James says. Our words are powerful. We'll be held accountable for everything. Y'all know that. 
You're going to be held accountable for every idle word that you say, you and I say, we're going to be held accountable. That's a scary thing. To know that every idle word, every, th- every thought, everything that I, have, that I have allowed to come out of my mouth, I'm going to be held accountable for that. But not only that, James says we've got to act. Our actions and our deeds should be based on that of Christians. It should be based on those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have the character of God. And he says the law of liberty will be our judge. Our words and our deeds will be judged by the divine principle, the law, Scripture, the Word of God. It will be based on the economy of God and not on the economy of man. God is the one that's going to judge us. It doesn't matter what your friend says. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says. What matters is what God says if we're followers of Jesus Christ. The law of liberty, that's the law of freedom. The law of Christ, this law of liberty, it speaks of true freedom. It's freedom to obey God. It's freedom to do what pleases God. Thus, it's not concerned about judgment. Listen, if, I, if, if you and I do what pleases God, if you and I do what God has commanded us to do, we don't have to worry about being judged. We don't have to worry about standing before God and, and being chastised and being all those other things and, and the things that we've done in our, in, our, in our works and things. He throws them into the middle and they burn up like, like hay and stubble. We don't have to worry about that. If we're just obedient to the Word of God, we're obedient to the law of liberty. That law of liberty, it comes through our salvation. We've only got to be able to obey the law of liberty through the presence and the power of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. That's what gives us uh, the freedom to obey the law of liberty. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We do that through the Holy Spirit. And so verse 13 there, it says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It can be summed up this way. Show mercy to others. And God's going to show mercy to you. It's simple. It's simple. Show partiality to others. And God's going to show partiality to you. Because you're going to be judged. Based on what you have done. Because God is a righteous judge. God is a just judge. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. And it's my fault. We don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. can't blame God. Well, you can but it's not going to do you any good. Mercy has that essential element, you know, in dealing with the poor in the Old Testament, but there's also that New Testament feel there as well. We should have those same characteristics as believers because we have the characteristics of God within us. And so mercy has a greater power than judgment. The merciful need uh, not fear the evaluation of God. When we show mercy, we don't need to fear God's judgment. We're doing exactly what God has asked us to do. We're doing exactly what uh, the character of God would say that a Christian would do. One commentator says it this way. He says, a person who shows no mercy and compassion for people in need demonstrates that he has never responded to the mercy of God. And as an unredeemed person will receive strict unrelieved judgment in eternal hell. In other words, this is a lost person. This is an unredeemed individual. This person has never accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. So their judgment will be that of an eternal judgment and eternal uh, hell. The person whose life is characterized by mercy is ready for the day of judgment and will escape charges that strict judgment may bring against him because, why? By showing mercy to others, he, gave, he gives genuine evidence of having received God's mercy. He not only speaks, but he also acts. The fruit of the character of one who holds to the faith of Christ is that of mercy. It's that of showing no partiality, showing no favoritism. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall receive mercy. You want to receive mercy? Be merciful. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that should be our character. Believers, we've got to act. And those actions will vindicate us at the judgment. If we show mercy, it's going to vindicate us. We're not going to be judged for that. Those who show mercy avoid the temptation to show partiality. When we show mercy 
to those less fortunate. When we show mercy to the poor, it helps us to avoid the temptation of being, uh, be, uh, being uh, sh- to showing partiality. But if we show no mercy, James is very clear, we experience the judgment of God. I wonder, which would you rather do? Show mercy or receive the judgment of God? I'll leave that for you to answer. We'll conclude with this. Partiality and favoritism, as we have already discussed, it's a huge problem in our society. And what is even more unfortunate is it is a huge problem in the church of Jesus Christ. It is a huge problem in our churches. So let's recap these four R's. So if we want to understand this sin of partiality, if we want to know how to avoid this sin, first we've got to recognize partiality. Anytime that we give preferential treatment to one person over another, that is showing partiality. That is showing partiality. We've got to reflect. Reflect on what? Reflect on the heart of God. And the heart of God should be our heart. The heart of God should be the character. God's character should be our character. And that frees us from any and all partiality. Our hearts should be that as well. We've got to remember Remember the royal law. Remember what God says. The second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It is not, it is not just out of coincidence that God said, listen, the first greatest commandment is to love me. Okay, remember, what is that? That vertical relationship? And he says, if you'll love me with all your heart, soul, and mind... And you'll, then you'll love your neighbor and it'll all be a natural progression. You'll show mercy. You'll show those other things. And the biggest, the, the biggest deal that I see, the biggest issue is with, with, with the partiality thing is because we don't see others as made in the image of God. That individual that might be poor, they're, maybe they're just less fortunate. Maybe their circumstances just didn't work out the way your circumstances and my circumstances did. But they're still made in the image of God. They're still one of God's children. They might not be saved, but they're still one of God's creation. And then finally, we've got to respond in word and deed. You and I have to live like we have been set free from the bondage of sin. We've got to live like we have the law of liberty the law of freedom we've been we've been set free okay from that bondage of sin the bondage of sin is what kept us from being obedient to the word of god it kept us from being a followers of jesus christ it kept us from understanding scripture and, and and all those other things but now that you and i have been set free from the bondage of sin we have all the ability and all the power through the through the holy spirit living within us to obey the law of liberty to respond in word and deed to god so let, let me encourage you, let, let me encourage us as a church to show no partiality, to be set free of, uh, of partiality. Because we're going to be judged for the way we do and what we say and the way we do things. And if we show the sin of partiality, we're going to be judged for that. And I know you don't want to be that way, and I know I don't want to be that way. We want to be a welcoming church. A welcoming church for both the rich and the poor, regardless regardless of what either group can offer. Because what are we trying to offer? Jesus Christ. All right, Jesus Christ. And we can't offer that to them if we don't accept them and bring them in and allow them to be a part of our uh, church as well. Okay, so let's avoid that. Let's avoid the sin. Let's let's follow the the the, the way that James tells God. We sure let's avoid that sin of partiality. Let's pray, Father God. We we run into this a lot in our society, Lord, and 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 many of us in our lives. And I know I have. I've, I've dealt with this and I've struggled with this, Father. And uh, Lord, I pray that you help us. I pray that that we recognize partiality when it occurs. 
Father, I pray that we reflect on your heart, God, because if we are a character, our character is that of Jesus Christ, we're not going to be caught up in the sin of partiality. Lord, I pray that we remember the royal law, Lord. Remember what you've asked us to do. Remember that you have said that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's that agape love, Lord. That's that, that self-sacrificial love. And Father, I pray that we finally will respond. When we recognize and we reflect and we, uh, we, we remember, Lord, we need to respond to what we've recognized. Respond to what we've uh, reflected upon and respond to what we are in remembrance of. Not only in word, but in deed as well. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I thank you that, that when we do fail you, Lord, all we've got to do is repent. All we've got to do is come to you, Lord, and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. But Father, I pray as we move forward as a church, as we move forward as individuals, that we, we, we just avoid this sin, avoid this, avoid this sin of partiality and favoritism. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I think we will this evening if that's okay with y'all uh, you want you you good okay yeah I'll just we'll just that'll be our closing prayer uh, as long as you're okay with that miss Marie you're okay okay yeah don't forget your points that is if you got points that is make sure you get those okay by the way wasn't that a beautiful display this year Absolutely beautiful. So thank you, Miss Marie, for your hard work, and Mr. Danny for your your diligence and your effort. Okay. Any uh, announcements or prayer requests before we head out? Oh, was Roy involved in this too? We don't want to leave old Roy out. Ah, yeah, that's what it was. He had his magic touch. All right. Anything else? All right, hearing none, I hope everybody has a wonderful and blessed uh, week and enjoy your enjoy your time with your family because I sure am going to. Yeah. All right, so. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.